Looking to create your best self, whether it's good for you lifestyle hacks, smarter ways to supplement, or tasty tips to fuel optimal health, Talk Healthy Today provides you the latest research tools and common sense tips you need to get and stay healthy starting today. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Talk Healthy Today. I am absolutely in love with doing this podcast. I would be thrilled if you rated, reviewed, and subscribed to the podcast. Now, on to the show. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Talk Healthy Today. As you know, I read a lot of books. I get a lot of books. I've been in health media for over 20 years, and I just got a book that, honest to goodness, it is a must-have. Don't run out and get it now because you got to listen to the interview first. But after the interview, you need to get this book. It is phenomenal. It is called Let That Shit Go. And it has an asterisk where the I is on that word. Uh, Find peace of mind and happiness in your everyday. Joining us now is the brilliant, amazing author, Nina Purewall. Hello, Nina. So thrilled to have you on Talk Healthy today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. Oh, well, let that shit go. I mean, there is so much going on and it's been such a hard time and people get caught up in the little things. And I love what you write. You write, and by the way, I took like 20 pages of notes. So <laughs> uh, you can, yeah, you can find the calm by doing the things you do, but just doing them a little differently, whether it's cultivating some deep breaths throughout your day or being aware of the negative autopilot that takes over from time to time. Finding peace doesn't have to be a huge product. As it turns out, you can actually find peace in the everyday. And that's what I love because you go on to talk about that monkey mind, which I have, and I can do maybe a minute or two of meditation, but then I kind of drift off and then I find it too hard. I, I just mean, I don't stick with it, even though I know how good it is. You didn't even talk about meditation, but what you, what you talked about was so amazing is mindfulness and just doing it in your every day, whether you're grocery shopping, catching those negative thoughts, catching your mind, going off track to what you're having for dinner when it's breakfast. Talk to us about that because being aware of these thought patterns is huge. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that, Lisa. And that's, that's it. You're, you're, when you're mindful, when you can, you know, practice a little more awareness of what's going on in there, you can be a better mom. You can be a better partner. You can be a better daughter, friend, um, you know, contributor to society because yeah, you're not so reactive all the time. And I can't tell you how many times I've been at that point too, where I'm ready to snap and then I catch myself and I take a breath. And, and I think there's a bit of a misconception on mindfulness that, you know, we, in order to practice it, we need to be mindful 24-7. And that's just not realistic in today's world. You know, we, we are busy, we've got bills, we've got, you know, external stressors that are happening right now. And to, to try to be mindful 24-7, um, it's next to impossible. It's our mind's job to think thoughts. So if we keep leaning into this awareness and bringing ourselves back. We have a few techniques on the book in the book on how to do this. That's the key. It's not about being present and then, oh my gosh, my mind's running off. I can't do this. I give up. I'm not a mindful person. Not at all. It's just about the awareness of the mind. And as soon as we become aware, we'll realize just how many thoughts we think. And the crazy thing is, I, I read another study recently that said 80% of our thoughts are actually negative or self-deprecating. So imagine what that does. You know, the whole notion of, of letting shit go and why it's so important is because, you know, I studied ancient wisdom. I've been studying ancient wisdom for decades now. And the, the core principle there is that our, our true nature is joy and it's peace and it's calm. Like if you think of yourself as an infant or a child, you were naturally happy. 
So what happened over time? As we entered into teenhood, adulthood, we built up all this shit along the way. So every chapter is, you know, another element of an obstacle of of things we hold on to, um, to prevent us from being that blissful, happy person. Because it's, it's, the, the journey of, you know, finding mindfulness, finding peace and happiness, it's, it's not about finding it somewhere out there. It's actually, you are, it's already within you. It's just about undoing all these, you know, obstacles we built in the, in the way. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was thinking about your story, Nina, and I, where you are right now and what you have done, I think is incredible. People have tragedies in their lives. People have hardships in their lives. When I read in your book what happened, I cried. I thought, I don't like, I'm reading this book and I'm like, wow, this is, she, how did you get to this point? And if you want me to share what happened or if you want people to read the book, I don't like to give too much away. If you don't want to talk about it, I like to be, you know, I want the, I like the guest to lead. So if you want to let me know what you want to say about what happened or whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah, I'm I'm completely comfortable now after many, many years talking about it and being very open about it. Um, so why don't you, because you, you kind of said you don't want to give away too much. So from your perspective, sure. why don't you share and I can, I'm happy to add um, onto okay. that. But yeah, I, I went through a tragedy at 16. So I will, I'll leave that with you. Yeah, like a horrific tragedy. Pretty horrific tragedy. So thank you, Lisa. I so appreciate your insight and, you know, you holding space and and having that reaction and sharing that with me. I really appreciate it. And it's pretty much why I'm so open about, you know, this tragedy that happened at 16. So when I was a teenager, you know, my parents uh, didn't have the greatest relationship. My dad was very controlling, uh, quite verbally abusive and manipulative um, and a little bit physically abusive as well towards my mom. And she, my mom, hit this point after 22 years of marriage where she finally said, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to walk away, um, which in the 90s was very taboo for Indian culture um, to, to separate or get a divorce. But she did it. I'm so I'm so glad that she did that at that time. And as a result, uh, six months after she served my father with divorce papers, her and I were coming home from an appointment and suddenly we realized our house is on fire. And very long story short, um, my dad ended up committing suicide and uh, taking my brother's life, who was five years younger than me. And, you know, every detective on the case basically said that his plan was to take me as well. So I'm I'm so blessed and lucky to be here. Um, he basically wanted to leave my mom with, with nothing. And so that was at 16. And, you know, at the time I went through child psychologists and psychiatrists and, uh, you know, I had teen support groups and I, you know, I had a great support system, but the one thing that I got into that kept me so grounded, that gave me answers I was looking for was, you know, studying ancient wisdom and and mindfulness and meditation. And so throughout my whole life, that's, you know, that was uh, 24 years ago now. And, you know, that's been the one thing that's been consistent to giving me the peace that I, that I needed to, to kind of get through all that trauma. And I had PTSD and survivor's guilt and all that uh, fun stuff I had to work through as a teenager. Um, But that's why I'm so passionate about, you know, spreading the, these truths that are tens of thousands of years old because they're they're so relevant in in today's world and 
you know, I, I share my story and I'm vulnerable about it because if it can impact one people or, or give some one person hope that through adversity, you can find happiness and joy in your passions, then, you know, it makes it all worth it. That's it. That's you're just I don't even have words and I always have words. I, I want to jump into chapter six, which is on forgiveness. Yes. You write, forgiveness is hard AF. You write, but resisting that impulse and actually going there can have serious benefits. Harvard Medical School psychologist Susan David, PhD, says that radical acceptance of all of our emotions, even the messy, difficult ones, is a cornerstone to resilience, thriving, and true, authentic happiness. Yes. I think what was interesting, too, is that you, you don't have to forgive that person, meaning you got to go hang out with them. Like I have one family member who hasn't talked to another family member in 10 years and it, yeah. I hate it and it's terrible and I wish I could make everything better, but I can't. But I I don't know where this person's at with their forgiveness, but I hope that they get there because it doesn't mean they have to re-talk to this person, but it's yes. for themselves. So if you can expand yeah. on that and how did you get there? Because yeah. the, for you, it's like triply, doubly, a million times hard AF. It was, you know, it was, it was a a light bulb moment that I had. So I suppressed and repressed for many, many years, right? I'd say almost 20 years. I suppressed my emotion around my dad. I didn't, you know, I kind of pretended he didn't exist when he came into my head. I would just push it out. And, you know, I went on to have this, went to business school and had this great career in sales and marketing. And then um, suddenly it hit me many years later that all of this resentment and this anger that I'm holding on to, it's not affecting him. He's been dead and gone for how many years now? It's affecting me. And the only way for me to, for me at the time to move through it was accept what happened and, and forgive him. It was really the only way for me to move through it because, and, and sometimes, you know, like Susan David says, you have to feel, you have to bring all that stuff up. Um, it's not easy. It's hard. It was almost a two-year process, and I'm a very practical person, so I went through kind of a pragmatic approach to forgiveness, where I just started researching and watching TED Talks and reading and YouTube videos on how to forgive. Um, and you know, there are many ways about it. Um, you know, the first thing I would say is, if you're not ready, it's okay to not go there. It's okay. It's 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 going to bring up a lot. Um, it took me 20 years, but when you are ready, the amount of you know, liberation and and empowerment that it does for you is, is phenomenal. It was hard for me to work through that. But now that I have, I mean, right after that, that's when I started my business. That's when the book opportunity came to fruition. It's kind of like, you know, a junk drawer you have, you can only hold so much in there or a drawer, you can only hold so much. And when you kind of get, start to get rid of the heaviness and the junk, you can make room for the new, um, I also want to touch on what you said, which is really important about forgiveness. You can forgive someone who is no longer here, like my father. You can forgive someone who, you know, you never want to speak to again or who is no longer in your life. It's everything that you are you are holding on to about that person or that situation that you are working to let go. So that's why I say forgiveness is not about the other person. It's not about, you know, forgiving them and making up and having an amazing relationship again. It's It could be that, but it's also, you know, forgiving for your own soul, for your own self, for your own mental health, and just moving forward with life. Oh, absolutely. You know, it also gets you more in touch with your authenticity, because you were saying you were able to do more things in your career. And 
you know, just in your life, right? Like when yeah. you have that space in, in inside that you're not holding on to all of that. And and I love in chapter five, um, authenticity. The more you own who you are, the less you'll be bothered by your shortcomings. You also talk about embracing your superpowers. When we meet Kate. I'm not gonna give the whole book away, don't worry. <laughs> Kate's a highly sensitive person. My daughter's a highly sensitive person. So mm-hmm. it's interesting because I think when you have uh, you know, a difference or where you're like, you know, if you're if you're on the autism spectrum or you have something else or, you know, you kind of look at it because people will see like, oh, well, that, that person must be this or that. Instead of saying, look, listen, I'm really good at noticing detail, right? Or I really can do this or that. And I thought that was great that you brought that up. Yeah. So Kate is my co-author and, you know, we met many lifetimes ago. I actually hired her. Uh, We worked for an environmental startup together and, you know, yes, she's a highly sensitive person. And I think, you know, when I first met her, she was very self-conscious about it because she had many managers and, and, and leaders tell her, you know, oh, you know, stop being so emotional, toughen up. And, but, you know, she was uh, a star on my team because I felt with her being highly sensitive, she was very intuitive to our clients. She was very intuitive to, you know, what we needed as, as a team. I had to push her way less than I did others. Um, so that was her superpower, you know, and I think it is about kind of leaning in to, you know, your unique characteristics and finding out, you know, how they benefit you and how they benefit society. Absolutely. I want to jump into the first chapter on awareness. Mm-hmm. And I love how you write, it starts before you even get out of bed. <laughs> because <laughs> yes. I grab my phone. It's ridiculous. Yes. I've yes. got, and I know I shouldn't do that. So do tell that. us about this. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. Um, yeah. So, you know, the first thing we do uh, typically, and this is, I always advise my clients, do not check your phone 30 minutes after you wake up and 30 minutes before you go to bed. I don't always adhere to it, but I try to. And I noticed too, when I, you know, I, I try to do my whole morning routine, which is, you know, brushing my teeth, showering, get ready, meditation before I look at my phone. Because the minute you look at your phone, you've entered the world, so to speak. You know, you're right. 14 emails behind at work and, you know, so-and-so's texted you overnight. And, oh, my gosh, I have to deal with this crisis situation. I mean, a million things come into your mind. Um, and I know, you know, Jay Shetty talks about this. He's, he's kind of a, a mindfulness expert. But he says, you know, when you look at your phone before bed, you're pretty much allowing like a 100 or a 1,000 people to walk into your bedroom and put something in your mind right before you go to sleep. And I thought that was such a great example. It's like, yeah, you know, that's that really is. You know, so that precious time in the morning, especially when you first wake up, that's when your mind is has the most um, uh, opportunity to be kind of peaceful because you've just had this nice, long, relaxing sleep. And so the minute you kind of check your phone, you suddenly go into anxious mode or it goes into overdrive. And And the thing is, when you see the 14 emails... There's nothing you can physically do about those emails because you still have to brush your teeth, shower, get ready, meditate. So you're thinking about it, but there's nothing you can do about it. So that's creating even more anxiety. So when you, you know, so I always say when I, I will look at my phone when I turn on my laptop and, and check my email, then, you know, then I'm starting, then that's when the mechanics of the day start for me. Um, but it's, it's the 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 racing mind starts literally when, when you get out of bed and looking at your phone just perpetuates it. Yeah, and what's so great about the book is that you have all these tips throughout the book. And if you want to, and again, I want people to get the book, but if you just want to share a little bit about rather than sitting down and meditating, you talk about when you're at the grocery store. And I love that. And you're, you know, just if you can kind of walk us through if you were shopping and kind of your thought patterns to keep you on track. 
Yeah, absolutely. So in the first chapter, we talk about how to build this awareness muscle. And we talk about how the mind actually has two parts. So bear with me here. So the mind has the chatty mind, which is the mind we're so often associated with, like you said, the monkey mind going from branch to branch to branch or thought to thought to thought. And many people are kind of in that space all the time. They identify themselves with this chatty mind. And what we need to do is we need to lean into the other aspect of our mind, which uh, we refer to in the book as the observing mind. So the observing mind just observes what the chatty mind is doing. So, you know, it'll sound like this. Now I am walking into the grocery store. Now you, oh, there you go stressing about work again, you know, bring yourself back to the present. It doesn't try to solve for anything. It doesn't judge anything. It just catches you. And the observing mind is like a muscle. So the more we lean into it, the more we can kind of leverage it and the more automatically we'll be able to catch ourselves. So the whole, this whole notion of chatty mind versus observing mind is to kind of get yourself out of this constant rumination. And I think it's Eckhart Tolle that said, you know, the minute you realize you're not present, you're present. So that's what the observing mind does. So, you know, with mindfulness, we have this, you know, activity in the book of just, you know, I learned this from a monk that I studied under, uh, just speak out loud or say in your mind what you're physically doing. So let's say you're in the grocery store, you know, your dialogue internally is going to go something like this. Now I'm picking up five bananas. Let me check my list. I have to get apples. Here I'm picking up an apple, I'm opening up the bag, I'm putting the apple in the bag. And even (laughs) if your grocery shop is 30 minutes and your mind wanders, you know, 60 times in those 30 minutes, which it will, it will keep running off because you'll, you'll see someone and it'll remind you of your grandmother and then you'll see something else and you'll get triggered by, you know, your parents forcing you to eat spinach as a kid, whatever. We're constantly triggered, right? So (laughs) if your mind is you know, if your mind is wanting to bring it back and bring it back. I mean, I've been practicing mindfulness for 20 years now. And I, you know, I, I've never had a grocery shop where I'm fully present the whole time, but I try to, and I bring my mind back. So that that's what the observing mind does. It just builds that awareness muscle. And once you start realizing all the different crazy places your mind goes, you will be shocked because again a lot of this stuff happens subconsciously you know you're you're again you're in the grocery store and suddenly your heart starts racing your palms are sweaty because you're thinking about the argument that you're having with that family member and you can't stop thinking about it right so again there you go thinking about your family member bring yourself back to the present okay pick up this crackers pick up the hummus you know just bring yourself back into the moment over and over again it's a really really powerful tool Oh, I love that. I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to do that. You have so many great, I mean, I I could read the whole book right now. I mean, the quotes, I have so many. uh, I love this. Let's make one thing clear about trying to live in the present. The thoughts don't stop, but your relation to them changes. I mean, that's just brilliant. That's like the whole thing encapsulated, right? (laughs) I mean, that's just, except for all the amazing tips. So you still have to get the book, but I mean, it's really, that was really powerful. Thanks, Lisa. Yeah. You know, uh, there's 120 tips in the book, but that, that's kind of the crux of it. It's, you know, I remember um, thinking, if I practice mindfulness, like, am I going to forget about my brother? Am I going to forget about the past? And I don't, I also don't want that, you know, I don't want to lose those memories. And um, what's happened over time is I, I still have all the memories, and they still come up for me, but they don't trigger me as heavily. They don't trigger me for as long um, you know, my relationship with my thoughts are, you know, I know these are just my thoughts and they are not me 
because we are much bigger than our thoughts. We are much greater than our thoughts. And so the thoughts still come because you have memory and you have, you know, neural networks in your brain and you have patterns. So they will still come, but your relationship with them will change over time. Yeah. And that's what's so important. You talk about mind dump. And I I, I think that's so important. If you can talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, the mind dump. So for those who are into, you know, journaling, um, it's a very, very powerful tool. So when everything feels like too much mind dump, so when you're feeling anxious, when you're feeling, you know, all everything coming at you, sometimes the best thing you can do is, you know, write it all down or even open up your email and, and type it all out. It's kind of like writing it, going back to grocery shopping, it's kind of like writing a grocery list. If you haven't written the list down, you have to get five things from the grocery store, you know, apples, bananas, oranges, hummus, and crackers, you know, you're going to keep saying that over and over in your head until you write it down and it's in your purse and you're like, okay, don't need to think about it anymore. So that's what the mind up does. It just gives you a little bit of release and suddenly it puts it on paper um, and it does a couple of things. One thing is it gets it out of your head and on into paper. And the other thing is sometimes when you write things down, you kind of realize like, oh my gosh, I've been thinking about this for three hours nonstop. Like this is not worth three hours of stress and of anxiety of of my time. Um, And sometimes when you mind dump, you can also, uh, you can also do it unfiltered, right? So let's say you're really angry or you're really triggered by trauma. You can write it all out. You can, or you can, you know, put the swear words in, put the anger in capital letters, you know, and then you can burn the paper or you can delete the email. And, and, you know, sometimes when you're even responding to, to someone who's triggered you and upset you, you can kind of mind dump your way through it. So if this person is bothering you, you can just type out exactly how you're feeling and then edit it just so you're getting the anger or the angst, you know, or the resentment out. Um, And then you go delete the parts that are, (laughs) that are not so nice and I don't want to send over. Oh, I love that. My mom used to say to write two letters, one where you just dump everything. And then the other one where you, you know, if, you know, depending on what you want from them, right. If you want like a a conversation to happen, but if you're just like, F you. She's a wise woman. She's a wise woman. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, she, yeah, she was. Oh, um, she was. I love this too, and it reminded me of my mom too. You talk about the records you play, and my mom would call these tapes. And you write when you don't recognize the impact of your thoughts and find yourself feeling crappy for no good reason. It could be that you're playing that you're not so great record on repeat without even realizing it. Yeah, and I I've thought about that since I was a kid. She would say those tapes that you play. Wow, she was ahead of her time. That's incredible. Yeah, she was. Yeah, <laughs> Always, definitely. Just, sounds like a wonderful woman. Um, and I'm sorry that you've lost her. It's, that's not, yeah, not she good. she died in '95. It's been a long time. Oh wow. And you know, the other thing I wanted to say real quick is, you don't, you know, you don't get over it. You you just get no. used to it. And I think you wrote that like for I think that's a quote somewhere in the book. Maybe not exactly, but right. I mean, because that's the thing. It's so annoying. Aren't you over that? No, it's been 26 yeah. years. No, it's I'm not. I, I, but I live with it. Absolutely. You know what? That's so powerful because I think, you know, there are people who might not understand loss and, you know, they, they say, oh, get over it. It's been, you know, my, my dad and brother were 97, you know, it's been over two decades, get over it. And I, I just, I, I don't like using the word hate, but I hate when people say that because no, I do you don't get over it. You never get over it. It just becomes a new normal, as you said. And, you know, I, I, I also want to preface by saying letting shit go. It's not an easy process. I mean, it's a fun, sexy title, um, but it's a very difficult process. And 
I also want to emphasize that it's important to feel the emotion, feel what comes up because you can't let anything go unless you bring it to surface and feel it and move through it. Only then when you feel it and you look at it and you process it, then you can let it go. But that feeling is so, so important. That's you kind of dealing with, with the situation. Um, but the records yeah, you absolutely play. do. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, the records that we we play, as I said earlier, you know, we think on average sixty thousand thoughts a day, and eighty percent of them tend to be negative, and a lot of them are about ourselves. And so, I have a lot of my clients actually write down what are the nasty things that you say to yourself. We have a tip in the box: stop being an a hole to yourself. <laughs> I'm looking at that. Literally, that's my in my notes right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, like we we really are. And when you when you write them down again, because a lot of them happen subconsciously. You know, what's the first thing you say to yourself when you look in the mirror? What's the first thing you say to yourself when you take on a big challenge? Um, and you know, oftentimes we are self deprecating. We think we're not good enough. We think we're not worthy. We're so critical of ourselves. And when we write it down, suddenly we realize, wow. I am so nasty to myself. And, you know, you don't talk to other people in your life like that. You you wouldn't accept that talk from other people towards you. So why are you treating yourself that way? And sometimes because it all happens so subconsciously, um, you know, and often we're addicted to these negative thoughts, like quantum physics talks about, you know, our addiction to these thought patterns and how we get a, a chemical rush every time we think them. We can't help ourselves. You know, so we have to, what we have to do is first become aware of them. And then we have a bunch of tips. Pretty much the whole second chapter is all about self-love and how to move through these thoughts and be more compassionate with yourself and start to replace these patterns that we have. Yeah, I love it. Shift from negative Nancy to positive Peggy. I am all ready for positive Peggy. Let's go. Come on, Peggy. I mean, really, because the negative Nancy is just, it's it's exhausting, right? It's exhausting. It's just so, such a brain time suck and it just drains you yes it's absolutely you're you're bang on lisa it's it's absolutely draining and again when we don't realize we're doing it it's happening subconsciously and we don't realize why we're so tired or why we feel so down or why we feel that we can't you know tackle this next project we don't realize what's going on in there yeah, absolutely. You know, another thing you write, which is so powerful, is control can be toxic. And you write, the more you try to control things in life, the more thrown off you'll get when they don't go your way. And, you know, we're like this in life. You know, we, and I talk about this book too, how my 25-year-old self wouldn't even recognize my 35-year-old self because I had all these plans of how life was going to unfold and everything, literally my career, my family life, so much flipped on its head. And I'm, I'm sure people are experiencing that too in this last year in the pandemic. And so, you know, when it comes to, to control, um, you know, I work with a lot of business leaders too, and I worked in corporate for most of my career, but you, yes, you have to plan for the future. Yes, you have to do your two year, five year, 10 year. So plan that out, you know, plan how you want life to go, but don't be attached to that plan because really, we have no control over how things are going to unfold. Look at 2020. Everyone's like, this is the year, 2020, or all the magic's going to happen, you know? And it was a complete shit show. Like, nobody could have even imagined, you know, the lockdown and the isolation and the crisis in mental health and the 
losses we've had. Like no one could have imagined what transpired that year. And that is, that is life. You know, yes, we plan ahead, but don't be attached. Cause the more, you know, we're attached to that plan and it has to go this way. We're setting ourselves up for, for disappointment. I think one of the tips is expectations cause frustrations, right? So yes, you know, plan ahead, but don't be attached to that plan. Let go of, you know, how it's going to roll out. And oftentimes, you know, things, uh, things happen for a reason. And when we, when bad things, I'm, I'm putting quotes, you know, bad things happen, sometimes it, it actually catapults us into something greater or something good. And we don't realize it at the time. We look back in hindsight and you're like, you know what? Thank God I lost my job because it pushed me to start my own business, you know, or even now I look back at the tragedy that happened at 16 and I do have moments, uh, not all the time, but I do have moments where I'm like, you know what? I have, I've actually thanked my dad. I've been, you know, thank you for showing me a different way of life because if I had grown up, a normal quote unquote, you know, teenager, I would have never had that yearning for what is life all about? Why am I here? What's my purpose? I had that at 16, you know, and so that completely shifted the trajectory of my life. Um, And yes, it was a bad thing. um, But I look back and I'm like, it's made me who I am. I wouldn't be who I am if that didn't happen. Wow. You know, I'm curious about your mother. What, what's, you don't have to share too much, but it, you know, it's mm-hmm. her story, but it, 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 did she take the same traje- trajectory at all? Lisa, she is the reason why I am what I am emotional. Um, my mom was just the most incredible woman. Like this, she was, she had the most difficult life I could have ever imagined. You know, she was abused very early in her marriage. She ran away. Her parents made her go back to the marriage. So, you know, it's too late. You're already married. Um, You know, before that she had been sexually raped and assaulted by police officers in India. She writes, she has a memoir. So she writes about this. I'm I'm okay sharing, sharing this. Um, But she, when my dad and my brother passed away and, you know, now having a child of my own, I have no idea how she did, how she lost a child and went on. Like, I really don't. But you know, she she leaned into ancient spiritual philosophy too. She was a career woman. She was an executive, but she also would go to these pilgrimages in India and learn under monks. And she was the most incredible, like literally the sun would shine out of this woman. Like people were so attracted to her. They had no idea what she had gone through. You could never tell. She was just the most positive, happy, always smiling, loving, warmest person and it was the spiritual path. She went very heavy into the spiritual path. Um, and, you know, uh, in, in my life once again changed in, in 2014. Actually, in 2012, she was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's. Um, or, oh, uh, I'm so sorry. You know, it's, it's so hard. And, and, and that's when everything changed for me again because I thought that's when I was still working corporate. Um, I was actually pregnant with my daughter when she passed away. And I was going to go back to work. And I thought, you know, here life is teaching me another lesson. Like, what is this about? What is this all about now? And and for me, it was, you know, life is so short. Life is so fleeting. Any day, anything can happen. So are you doing what you love? Are you living life to the fullest? Are you doing what you're passionate about? And for me, I wasn't. I was in corporate, which I, I love my job, but I wasn't in love with what I was doing. And that's when I, you know, when she away I took some time with my daughter and then I started my business and I wrote the book and you know she was with me for the entire book I 
I have some crazy stories of how, you know, little signs like her uh, throughout writing of the book, but you know, she was an incredible person and she's definitely my biggest inspiration of how to come overcome adversity and still be, you know, a very happy, blissful, peaceful person. Oh, I am so glad to hear that. And I'm so sorry for your loss. Losses, I should Losses. say. Yeah. And you too. It's not, you know, losing a mom is, oh, it's heart wrenching. Yeah. It's very hard. And you must have uh, been young. I, I'm, uh, I was in my 20s. So it was yeah. rough because I hadn't, I, I'm a late bloomer. I mean, in every way. Career wise, like I knew I wanted to work in health, but I wasn't really work, sure, sure what. And then when my mother was dying from ovarian cancer, after mm-hmm. I was living um, where she was, and so I established residency, and then I realized, you know, I, I really, I should get my master's in public health, and that's what I did, and then I got into health media, and that's why I'm here 22, three years later, mm-hmm. and it's just amazing, you know, I mean, it's, it, but she was, wow. you know, really inspirational for that, and, but she never saw it, and it's, it's just so hard, like, she never met my husband, or my daughter, or, right. saw, you know, it's, it's that thing of, of that, that's where it's hard. That's, you know, you're like, or you just want to ask a question or, oh, gosh, the question, you know, right. Yeah. When I had my daughter, I was like, oh my God. Cause she asked me when she was sick, do you have any questions for me? Cause I'm not going to be around much longer. If you didn't. And I said, no, I just want to sit and hold your hand, you know, but after, you know, I had my daughter, I was like, I have a million questions and yeah, same thing. She never, she has never seen this book, you know, and it's, it's partly dedicated to her. Um, but I totally hear you when, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking, but, you know, I believe personally just that they are, they're with us and they see things just in a different capacity than we're used to. No, that's nice. You know, it was hard for me with my mom as she was, she was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to die from this ovarian cancer that stage four. And we're like, okay. you know, like, and she oh. just took every supplement. But the, the problem was, was that she did so many, she's like 27 chemos and she took everything. I mean, it was because yes. she was just like, I'm in a battle to save my life. Yeah. Yeah. And she did and that he- for two and a half years and then died. And I'm like, well, wait a second. What, what, what? I didn't get to ask you anything. Cause there was this wall of like, my full-time job is living. And not, Living, not yeah. dying. So leave me alone and I'll get back to you when I, cause she was like, I'm going to beat this. So we'll have plenty of time oh to, gosh. you know, but yes, I feel like you're talking about my mom. Cause it was the same thing. It was two and a half years. And I actually had a talk with her at one point in the middle. And I said, you know, I'm, we were both crying and I said, all we talk about now is ALS and same thing. She was a fighter. She went to India for two months to do Ayurveda. She did, she did oh, the natural wow. route. She tried everything and she, she really believed she was going to beat it. I'm going to be one of the 1% that's going to beat this disease or I'm going to live for another 10 or 20 years, you know? And, you know, I, I said to her at one point, I said, mom, like, you're going and all we're talking about, like my only memories of you in these last few years is talking about ALS. And it was kind of heartbreaking. We had a, a moment of realization there. So we actually started to car- compartmentalize, you know, talking about ALS and then talking about life. Um, we, you know, we made that right. she died shortly after that. But, um, you know, I always kind of say that I had, I had three moms, the mom that was in this abusive relationship who was very oppressed and and suppressed, still loved us. But, and then, you know, my free mom, when my dad died, oh my God, she was like rappelling down waterfalls and ATVing in the mountains. Like suddenly she was free, this free soul, this free bird. Uh, And then when she got sick, you know, that was like my third mom who was just, you know, so much came up for her then. And, you know, you know what it's like, it's a very heartbreaking time. Are we in a therapy session? Like I'm feeling like so much better. (laughs) Right. One of the things that I love too 
is jumping, jumping back into the book. One of the things I love too is fuck the shoulds because my mom was a big shoulda, coulda, woulda. And my sister used to be like, mom, stop with the shoulda, coulda, woulda. Like just yes. stop. So I love that you say, go ahead and write your own list of shoulds. Uh, then do the three, three things. One, figure out where the should might have come from. Two, decide yep. whether it's important to you. Three, let go of the should if it's really not important to you or take some steps to make it happen if it is something you truly want for yourself. See, that is so smart. Nobody yeah. ever says that. Everyone's just like, oh, stop shitting yourself. And I'm like, well, that, that's not helpful. <laughs> I need that's I need not tips helpful. What do I do? Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's it. So that's in the authenticity chapter, which is the chapter about, you know, being true to yourself. And that that chapter fundamentally changed me, you know, because it's like I knew all these principles, but writing it all down was like, you need to start adhering to these. Um, but should you know, we're constantly bombarded by shoulds, whether it's from our parents growing up, our siblings, our group of friends, our society, um, you know, social media, everybody, you know, if you think of people in your age group, it's like, oh, I should have a house by now. Oh, I should be making this much money by now. Oh, I should have kids. I should have three kids. I, you know, there's so many shoulds, right? And, and then it starts becoming convoluted. What shoulds are you, are you adhering to because of society and what shoulds you're adhering to because it's something you really want, you know? And so if you do want to own a home and you do want to have kids, go for it. But if suddenly you're like, you know what? I don't, I'm going to rent for the rest of my life and I really don't want kids, you know, then let go of that should. And, and sometimes you can even, you know, analyze where the should, who the should is coming from. Like, you know what? That one came from Aunt Kelly because she was so adamant that da 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 you know and and it's really all about yeah assessing when you're shooting in your head is that coming from you or is it coming from some voice that's making you feel like you need to do it right and that's what's so important because again it's like well where did that come from i don't even want that i don't want to flip in house it's a lot of responsibility right or whatever yes. that the thing is that you that you should have uh, yeah. one of the other thing i love is as you say be unfuckable and you say according to urban dictionary the most popular definition of unfuckable oh, i'm sorry unfuckable with yes. is when you are truly at peace and in touch with yourself and nothing anyone says or does bothers you and no negativity or drama can touch you well that's that would be a lovely space to be in. <laughs> <laughs> we're working on it right how do we're we get there <laughs> we're working together read your book that's how you get there oh thank you you know being unfuckable with I find personally is the biggest thing is to not care what people think because I was a chronic people pleaser or I think Oprah called it the disease to please that was me um I wanted everybody to like me all the time you know and I've had to really step into like even with writing this book I'm like people some people are going to eat it up some people are not going to be a fan and I have to be okay with that you know and so when you're unfuckable with um you're doing things for you and you're not doing them for anybody else in this world but you yeah trust there's no one who's not going to like your book i mean the book is <laughs> absolutely changing <laughs> i love this too you write this quote by michelle olak and you write yes. under it life period changing dot quote yeah uh, and when i learned the spiritual journey had nothing to do with being nice it was about being real authentic having boundaries honoring my space first other second and in this place of self-care being not just happened i'm oh, sorry and being in this place of self self-care being nice just happened it flowed not motivated by fear but by love that is really huge because you talk about about in the book you were just saying people pleasing being nice you talk about happiness joy there's so many things that we didn't get to so you definitely need to come back but when did you first see that quote and was it just like oh my goodness wow 
Yeah, it was a, it was a life changing quote. I think I saw it a year or two prior to writing the book. And, you know, when we got the book deal, I was like, this quote has to go in the book. Um, it's just, it's so powerful because when we start living from a place of authenticity of our true selves, we start doing things because we want to do them and because we love to do them, not because we have to do them or because we're obligated. You know, sometimes there's angst behind what we do when we're not genuinely interested in doing that thing. Um, and so that was such a beautiful quote and so honoring of when you when you honor yourself, um, everything coming out of you is going to be coming from a place of, of natural love and, and, and um, kindness versus, you know, this obligation. Yeah, it, it, there's so much. Is there anything you want to add? And I definitely want to have you back. And I'm going to get all your social media and how to find the book. But anything you wanted to add to this conversation before we finish other than that? You know, I just want to remind everyone that, you know, that your true nature is love, it's bliss, it's joy, you already have it, it's already there, it's already within you, you just have to go inwards. So instead of seeking happiness and validation and everything from the external world, you know, realize the the magic that you are, you, your true nature is this. Um, so I just want to remind people that it's, it's not about finding yourself somewhere out there. It's just about letting go of everything we're holding on to so you can access that beautiful part of yourself. So beautiful. Let that shit go. Find peace of mind and happiness in your everyday by Nina Purewall and Kate Petru. All right, Nina, tell us all the ways to find you and your fantastic book. Thank you so much. You can check out my website. It's pureminds.ca, P-U-R-E-M-I-N-D-S.ca. Or you can follow me on Instagram at nina.pure.minds. I'm also on LinkedIn. You can find me at Nina Purewall. But if you go to the website, you'll find everything you need. There's a link to all the different places that you can grab the book. Well, this book is making a difference in my life. And I told my daughter this morning, I said, we're going to sit down. We're going to read this book together because it's really great. I love that. Thank you. That means so much. That just means so much to me. Honestly, when people, when people tell me about the impact the book has had, it means more to me than any, anything else. And it, it validates for me why I do what I do. So thank you so much for sharing that. Well, it's absolutely fabulous. Thank you so much for listening to Talk Healthy Today. I hope you got as much out of the show as I did. I feel so lucky to talk to so many incredible people to help you live your healthiest life. So please rate, review, and subscribe, and never miss an episode of Talk Healthy Today.